The Say Something Podcast is brought to you by AmomentWithMorris.com and BlackBlueprints.com. That's BlackBlueprints with a Z dot com. I am Jermaine Morris here with the one and only Mr. Barry Axius. Yes, sir. We are bringing you the Say Something Podcast. Say something, say something, say something. That's where we get together and talk about everything going on in the life and the world out here in these streets. In these cool, cool, cool streets. Yeah. <laughs> We're bringing you episode number 61. Damn, 61. Slapping you across your temple. Special shout out on this episode to, to Mickey Mantle? To a, nah, to a particular gentleman. Uh, and what's crazy is so he's second generation of what he does. And this is somebody who's kind of dedicated his career to not only. Uh, highlighting different views and and different narratives when it comes to to black people in America, but he took the baton from his father. So his father was a, a playwright, screenwriter, director, actor, and he was involved back in a time period where he was involved in the shift of what movies look like. If you go back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, black men all had to be uh, hairless. Like if you think back to the to the actors back then, nobody could have facial hair or anything because that was a, a sign of, of, of virility. So all the black men think back to Harry Belafonte, Sidney Poitier, like they all if there was a guy with a beard, it was a white dude. And so his father came out like trying to show more of the masculine side with a political concept to his movies. And he instilled that in his son. And so his father was doing this through the 70s, 80s. His son then took over. First got his first acting gig. He was a, a soap opera. And then he went on to, to have some bit parts. And then he got into directing, direct episode of 21 Jump Street. But most notably is when he took the reins and directed a movie called New Jack City. Mm. Followed with a movie with, with uh, Posse. He did Panther. And taking the idea from his father about Not the Black Panther that you just got seen on TV. Panther addressing the the, the the civil rights group of the Black Panthers. And it's really like a twofer because these are two generations of black men who have really been on the on the not only the forefront on a, on a lot of levels, but when we think back to historical movies or, or game changing movies of black culture in America, the last name is solid. So it's a, a twofer shout out to one Melvin and Mario Van Peebles. Some of the love of time. Some of our only black uh, directors and producers was that brother. I remember. Yeah, I mean, and did everything. Yeah. I mean, from acting to screenwrite to getting produced, getting directed, like all across the board. Melvin Van Peebles, uh, this was the era where the black exploitation film came out. And they, with the way that they, what he proved in his movie, it was like, uh, oh my God, what's the name? It was like, uh, Sweetback, Sweet Sweetback's yeah, Badass yeah, Song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, did they remix that shit too? Uh, yeah, badass. And so, uh, but he, what he did it had Earth, Wind, and Fire doing 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 the music. And what he proved is that a movie of this caliber could do big mon- could do big money for a film. And back then, the black ta- black exploitation films got this negative connotation to them. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, it was the only time we saw representations of ourselves where we weren't uh, butlers. And, 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 yeah. So, I mean, the, this era of movies that were starting to empower us, that we were producing, we were directing, we were writing, we were getting out there. There was a following. They attached the negative connotation to it. And we got away from that. And Melvin was at the forefront in the beginning. And his son, he instilled in his son the need to to tell our story. 
and the need to give our perspective and to not just be what the society at the time said we were. So when he got it, when he got his break with New Jack City, uh, back then when you talk about gangster movies, it was always Scarface. It was, you know, it was Italians. It was the mob. No one ever had the idea that black people put together an organized crime syndicate and, you know, we could, could do it on that level. And, and though I'm not saying Nino Brown was a hero. He was mine. I'm saying to us, he was our Scarface. Oh, shit. And what he showed in Posse was that there were black cowboys back then. And all that stuff that you saw about Jesse James and Billy the Kid, there were there were black cowboys doing it at the same time. And he highlighted that. That that issue, and then he he did the movie, the Black Panther, the, the Black Panther Party movie. He did Panther, though there was some historical discrepancies in a there. A lot. Uh, he took a, a, a time period to where he put the idea back in a generation that had forgotten about them. I could imagine him doing that movie now. How how real it would be? Oh yeah, crazy. I mean, so that that that's just two generations uh, and the significance of te- teaching these lessons and passing them down, and then being involved that you know. Mario Van Peebles never got the big money because of the stories he wanted to tell. And he was willing to tell the certain stories that he wanted to be out there as opposed to just, you know, he did some garbage films as an actor. But when it came to, to, to getting that story, I think that that's important that we get involved, that we, we speak our truth, that we pass that down generationally. And we have ourselves a special guest that's in the building. Yes, sir. Who is the epitome of that type of thinking. Yes, sir. Somebody who is about not just going along with the narrative that is promoted. Revolutionary. Somebody who's not just about, you know, just status quo and just doing what we've done, but taking it upon himself to be a voice. Yes, sir. And and, and to be a shift and to be a change in the narrative and and willing to take the heat that comes along with us all the way for Ferguson, Missouri. Hey. Shout out one time to Brother Ted Poe. Ted (laughs) Poe. Say something, motherfucker. Introduce yourself to the folks at home that don't know you. Yo, yo, what's up, y'all? It's Tef Poe. I'm a hip-hop artist. Uh, I'm an author. I'm writing a book right now called Rebel to America. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I own a couple businesses uh, back home in uh, Missouri. Uh, I'm also a teacher. I teach at, uh, well, I'm a lecturer. That's my official official title. I, I give lectures at Harvard University. Uh, How the fuck did you get to Harvard University? <laughs> How the fuck did you get to Harvard University? <laughs> like, I, I, I know you're doing your intro, but I have to ask. Like, first, I saw the sweatshirt. I saw you speaking there one a few times. Like, okay. Yeah. Then when we sat down, we ate and broke bread. You're like, yo, like, I got a, a two-year run over there. Like, it's yeah. about to end up right now. Like, Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the first year I came in as a uh, a fellow in a program called the uh, Charles Warren Center American Studies Program. And uh, I'm the first person of my type that's ever been there. I don't even have a high school diploma, you know. So um, I just leveraged my life experiences and, and my worldview and, and perspectives and the things that I know to be true about the world. The things that educated me, uh, I used those as my resume. Uh, versus, you know, how other people came in with PhDs and this and that. I came in with, my PhD was the streets. My PhD was the reality of black America. So um, I just leveraged that into, you know, the first year. And then the second year, I ended up uh, being a recipient of a fellowship that Nas, the rapper, uh, Nasir Jones, uh, has a fellowship called the Nasir Jones Fellowship. 
where he tries to help individuals like myself that maybe wouldn't typically be at Harvard uh, working. Uh, it's the mission of that fellowship to put us there behind enemy lines. Wow. So uh, I'm a Nods fellow this year and last year I was in a different program. So I kind of just finessed my way from one to the other, <laughs> you know. Like you supposed to be like on FBI Most Wanted and you were at <laughs> fucking Harvard teaching. That shit's crazy. <laughs> So for anybody at home that's not familiar with your name mm -hmm. or if they've heard your name before and not quite sure why they know it, mm -hmm. why, why do you think most people would be familiar with you? Um, a lot of people may know me from Ferguson, um, the Ferguson Uprising. Uh, I, I was out there. I was one of the first what I call citizen journalists uh, where I was out there reporting live what I saw and putting it on the Internet for other people to see what was happening. Um, we couldn't really trust what the media was saying, so a lot of us took the responsibility of becoming the media and spreading that narrative for ourselves. Uh, and from there, it was weird because I didn't vouch for a leadership position, but I felt like uh, for a while I was out there leading a lot, of, a lot of the different protests. And um, uh, it wasn't just me; it was several, several, several other people. But uh, I was definitely amongst the flock of people that. Uh, were some of the folks that jumped off the, the initial second and third waves of keeping people in the streets and keeping the energy going and coming up with some of the chants and you know like there's different chants I hear people say that have become like nationwide chants and I think like yo we made that up in my living room like wow. it's, it's crazy to see that that's like a global thing now like that came off my couch <laughs> you know so like uh, I just played a role in that, and uh, from there we started an organization called Hands Up United, which uh, we decided we wanted to bring back the Black Panther Breakfast Program in our own type of way. Uh, so we started off doing that, and we got a whole bunch of different programs that we do now, homeless uh, shelters, clothing shelters, uh, technology programs. Uh, we do a lot. We have music programs for the kids, uh, and I'm a hip-hop artist as well. I'm signed to Tommy Boy Records. Uh, Congratulations same, on that. No love, doubt, no one doubt. Love, one love. Same label that uh, Queen Latifah pretty much Naughty built. Naughty by Nature. Naughty by it. Nature, Digital Underground. De La Soul. De La. All A lot of that. Jersey phone. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I ain't put my, rec my record out with them yet. We still working on it. But I dropped the album in December uh, independently. And it features uh, our, our good brother Cornell West on a couple of the skits. Uh, I just do a lot. I'm, I, I'm, I gotta figure out an elevator pitch to, to everything I do. Yeah. But I do a lot, you know. So. Serious motherfucking brother right over here. First off, shout out to Cornell West. He's from Sac. Oh, yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's from here. Yeah, Cornell from what? here. He's from Sac. I thought he was a New York cat. Nah. Nah. Dad, y'all just dropped one on me. <laughs> he ours. Uh, so you've done a lot of work. So. I would think prior to the Ferguson situation, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that one was linked to the uh, killing of uh, Mike Brown, mm -hmm. For to put it in context. It's sad that there's been so many incidences and so many names for people who may not remember what mm -hmm. went to what mm -hmm. or who went to what. And prior to that, were you somebody who was involved? Like oh, yeah. for, for some people, you know, it's business as usual. Something mm -hmm. happens, they Johnny on the spot, they're like... I got to be out there and be the voice. Other people, it's just something kind of calls you inside and just yeah, yeah. makes you start talking. Were you already vocal and active? Were you already like, were you already that guy before mm -hmm. the situation happened? So 
Uh, I was definitely politically active. Uh, I was working with the fast food workers at the time. Uh, I, I feel like I've been involved in every major political event at at home uh, in mm-hmm. St. Louis, uh, from registering folks to vote to uh, supporting our brother Reggie Clemens, which is the, the number one thing that I've been working on most of my life is uh, our brother Reggie Clemens is on death row for a crime he didn't commit. Uh, they locked him up in 1991, beat, beat a confession out of him, and the state Supreme Court reviewed the evidence and said that the evidence was tampered with and that there was reason to believe that he didn't do the crime, which is what we all been saying for the longest of time. So he finally uh, was removed from death row, but they kept him in prison, so we're fighting for his release right now. Um, I've been doing, you know, in 2013, they get they named the day after me in my old hood, August 6th, 2013, they, they named it Tefpo Day. <laughs> uh, that's a year before Ferguson. And um, so I've always been there. I've always been present, but I never viewed it as activism or nothing like that. Uh, I've just viewed it as me being a black man living in America. And the real of it was we were under, we are under attack, stay under attack. There's real things happening. I had a platform through being a hip hop artist. Uh, I was also the, the 106 in part freestyle champ in 20, yes, sir. 2013, retired freestyle champ. Nobody beat me. Um, and I came back home, putting out more records, doing more music, being in the streets, back in different political causes. Uh, for me, there's no bridge between the music and the activism. They kind of are just one. Uh, and I never viewed it as activism until uh, after Ferguson with folks you know, introduced that to me as the academic title of what we were doing. I just thought we were just, you know, standing up for ourselves, you know. So, Yikes. a good point you're talking about as, as an artist and using your platform to use your voice. Do you think that is something that artists have an obligation to do? Because for some people, they, they'll feel like you've got all these people who listen to you. You get the camera in your face. You mm-hmm. get the notoriety. It is your responsibility to rise up to the level of of the audience that's listening to you and speak some stuff that they need to hear. Mm-hmm. Other people, it's man, I ain't come here for that. Yeah. You know, what was it? Yeah. Just shut up and play basketball. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, do you yeah. feel it's the responsibility yeah. of artists or anybody who gets an elevated platform to have to speak on these things? Yeah. So first and foremost, as people may disagree with me on this, but as a black man, the most as a black person, the most revolutionary thing you can do is take care of your family. Speak that truth, So partner. a lot of people jump out here in these streets and try to get behind all these different political causes. But then when you look at the, the, the background of how they living, they own kids is at home living, you know, in, in, in less than humane conditions. They're not there to chastise or represent or talk or have conversations or connect with them and theirs, you know. So uh, or even how you conduct yourself with your parents or how you conduct yourself with uh, your, your real loved ones, the ones that your nuclear loved ones, you know, like that's important. And so I can't consider myself revolutionary or be active politically if I'm not even taking care of that first and foremost. So that's a lesson a lot of us learn the hard way. But um, from there, I, I think that in terms of do artists have a responsibility? Um, I, I look at it like it's a layered question because what we don't want is. Uh, a bunch of uninformed, um, you know, um, people speaking on issues that are life and death for individuals just because they they, ha- they got some Grammys or they cut a couple records or like like a, every rapper isn't Malcolm X. Every rapper isn't Tupac Shakur. And I think 
for me, I think that the general public has to start uh, taking what comes out of these individuals' mouths for what it actually is. So, like, if, if, if your favorite rapper goes on TV and compares themselves to Walt Disney and Steve Jobs, then don't try to compare him to Matulu Shakur because he didn't compare himself to Matulu Shakur. Whoa, 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 what rapper you might be talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 like, the, the, the man told you his mission statement. He compared himself to two white capitalists. You know what I'm saying? He, never, he didn't say, I am uh, Mega Evers. I am... You know, I am Huey P. Newton. He literally said, I am Steve Jobs. I am Walt Disney. So that is, ref so to me, that says a lot, you know. And I was watching um, the night that Donald Trump won the election. And I was watching BET. And I was a little bothered because this was a very critical moment for black America. You know what I'm saying? And... I didn't necessarily need to hear from no rappers at that moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I needed to hear from real people who had some real analysis and something real to say. And that's no shade at the rappers. That's just saying me as a person who's watching the country uh, like literally be flushed down the toilet. <laughs> I don't need to hear from my favorite rap artists at that moment. You know? So I feel like th that question is so layered because yes, the artists have a a human responsibility to chime in. But everybody's artistic platform may not even be the best platform for us to be addressing certain things. Okay, I get that. I liken that to the uh, the Dave Chappelle joke where he was like, "All this is going on. Let's let's go to Ja Rule and see what he thinks about this." Yeah. I may have some questions that Ja Rule can't answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, and, I, and I think about and I think about when when, we, when you're talking about the situation, I use you preference to. Uh, Say the person, but not say the name. Yeah, and then yeah. that idea of me even looking at this again, revisiting it, and we revisit it for a second. When you heard, because well, let's let's let me first put this out there. The reason why, the reason why, I'll probably say it again, that things are moving here in Sacramento are because of brothers like you sisters that you worked with and other soldiers that are not here right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the facts are the ferguson rebellion the ferguson uprising relaunched the idea that we have to not only be on the streets we have to pay attention politically and we have to dismantle policing in america matter of fact it also reignited the fact that black people just because you have obama in presidency black people should not be comfortable being under uh enemy territory and mm -hmm. on top of that being behind enemy lines it was like the hey Negroes, you are black. You do know that you have no privilege here to that state. And by saying that, you guys ignited what now is happening nationally with now every response to a police shooting here in America. So when you hear an artist 
like Kanye West mm -hmm. says what he says about choices and, mm -hmm. and, and the enslavement of our people and the fact that you as an artist really don't play the politics to the way where you decide to say I'm going to sell my people short and I sell myself short mm -hmm. and just kind of roll with whatever I'm going to roll with mm -hmm. to make the monies. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? As we can see with artists, you still keep it with substance. You keep it rev revolutionary and you say my time is coming. I'm going to do the slow process than rather say, yo, let me go ahead and just say some more wild shit, make some catchy song and blow up. Mm -hmm. When you hear artists that you were fighting for mm -hmm. to keep their freedom intact mm -hmm. how do you feel about that response and where does the responsibility come from with those artists that speak on things especially the way they spoke on it in front of uh, a national audience and as well in, in a company of enemy so yeah man so um a lot let's it goes back to the, the last question my brother just asked me you know like a lot of these these artists are just uninformed uneducated they're drastically removed from the circumstances of regular everyday black folk right and we attach a relativity to them that's just not there we we create a relationship with them that just quite frankly does not exist and and and, and that's more so a reflection on us than it is on him okay you feel what i'm saying like if you are c content we're buying records from people you know ain't writing the rhymes. You know they barely producing the tracks. Uh. You know, Like, we start right there before we even get to the message. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're content with, 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 a, with, a, with a person just being the face of a product. A facade. Exactly. And even if it's not a facade, you, you are content with it not being what, what a, a Marvin Gaye was. Uh. You're content with it not being what Stevie Wonder is. You're content with it not being what Nina Simone was oh. because you've already on a talent level okay you've already accepted partiality oh. you feel me so so when we get to the messaging if the talent is partial you know the message is going to be partial okay. you know like you're not going to get a holistic mess message from we already have select let these people get away with uh basically turning themselves into commodities for capitalism yeah. right and then we say, well, oh, we're shocked that you feel that way. Like, how are you shocked that that, that, that that's coming out of the, the you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> how are you shocked? Like, what are they voice? You ain't seen right? that man on the turf in Chicago stopping no drive-bys? Uh. Like, what are you shocked by? Uh. Oh, that's real shit. That's real shit. So, so sticking with that, something that I, w I would think. So, a big issue that people have with not only that gentleman, but uh, celebrities in, in general mm -hmm. who, who speak on things and spout misinformation about what the backlash could be to irresponsible rhetoric mm -hmm. like just the loose talk what that could do have we got it wrong is it not that what these people could say the repercussions that could happen or are they the result mm. of what we've done to, mm. as opposed to what can Kanye cre create was Kanye created by what we did mm -hmm. in the sense of we'll take anything Mm -hmm. the, the quality control is next to nothing. Mm -hmm. Our connection to what's real, what's important, what's genuine is now minimal. Mm -hmm. We don't care if you're real. Mm -hmm. We're not involved in what's happening. Mm -hmm. We're not connected to what's important. Mm -hmm. And this is what you get mm -hmm. as opposed to someone with a platform. What can become from mm -hmm. this? Mm -hmm. Like, how does that sit with you? I think so. I think there's multiple things happening here. I think a with that conversation, because I, I know people that know Kanye. So I. That's why I'm a little lighthearted on the way that I speak about it. Yeah. Because I, I know people that work with him 
regularly. I know people that used to be with him that are no longer with him. X, Y, Z. Yeah. So uh, when I talk to them, what I realize is that this is a real person. Just like we sitting here conversing, there's people who can call that man and have real conversations with him. And I don't know what them conversations sound like, but I, I know that, that this is a realistic thing. We all on the same planet, on the same rock. So the way I feel about that is um, th- there is... Uh, something that, that 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 happened in that conversation that I feel that I wasn't cool with. This is two black men discussing slavery, uh. right? On TMZ. <laughs> you understand what yeah. I'm saying? Like, let's really go there with it. Man, it's, it's, go there. Let's go right? there. So it's two brothers discussing slavery on TMZ in front of some white boys. Yes. Anime territory. Right? So it, within that TMZ ain't never did nothing righteous for black folk. So, I ain't never seen them donate nothing to no schools. Exactly. So now all of a sudden, and, and Malcolm X said it. <laughs> he said it. The media will have you thinking this when it's really this. And the piece of that interview, and Louis Farrakhan said something about it. The piece of that interview that they did not show was the part where afterwards Kanye and, and the brother have another conversation. Yeah. And he walks over to the brother and go. Hey, I'm sorry I offended you. I got love for you, blah, 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 blah. So not saying that I agree with Kanye because I don't, but I also I'm never going to side with the beast that's propelling anything like something of that magnitude about something so serious about our people. Y'all like who are y'all to broadcast the messaging? Uh You feel me? Like who are y'all to? All right. He did say that. But who are you? To tell me how I'm supposed to feel about him saying that. Like, what have you done for, while you getting on Kanye West, TMZ, what have y'all done for black people? (laughs) What has TMZ done for black people besides tell us that Kanye said slavery was a choice? You know what I'm saying? Like, when when else have they discussed slavery and the effects of slavery within entertainment and and how uh, brothers like Kanye that are genius are put into this hyper-capitalist system and said, that tells him to create, 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 create to the point where he done lost his mind. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? But th- they don't want to have that convo. Uh-uh. Yeah, because all TMZ is most notable for is letting you know who's on vacation, who just had lipo, who had butt injections, and who's sleeping with whom. I mean, it's about Trump. Yeah, I mean, they, they are the mainstream's version of World Star. Yeah. You know, and. And I think that that mm-hmm, last part mm, that you, mm. <laughs> yeah, that last part that you just talked about, when you take that creative mind and you put it through the capitalist machine, like a lot of people remember the interview he did with, I ain't gonna stay on Kanye, but just for mm-hmm. this little piece, the, he did an interview with Sway, yeah, the yeah. infamous, you ain't got the answer, Sway, yeah, yeah. interview. And after him and Sway had a little heated discussion, mm-hmm. he took a pause and then he's like, I'm not trying to disrespect you. He said, but this is what it is. You know, it's my creativity, it's my capital, it's my time. Mm-hmm. Like, if I spend all my time trying to raise money to be able to do this, I'm losing relevancy in, in, in the world. If I focus on just doing what people love me for, I don't have the time to be creative to branch out and do something else. Mm-hmm. Like, he was in a hamster wheel <laughs> that would either one way mm-hmm. or the other is mm-hmm. going to be unfulfilling. Mm-hmm. And I think that in our system... This capitalist system that this country runs in, that's all of us. Like a lot of us, we have a nine to five job that we work 40 and sometimes 50 hours a week. 
And it's like, well, you need to get off the corporate plantation. You need to start your own business to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, but I work in order to do that, to raise the capital. That means I've got to work 60 hours a week to raise the money to start the business. But now I don't have the energy or the time to put into creating something new, you know, now or, okay, well, I'm going to fall back and do that. But now I don't have the money or the resources to do this. Like we get into a bunch of hamster wheels that that keep us out of position. So for yourself to because first off, for people who don't know, if you take not only the entrepreneur route, but the artist route, it's broke for a long time. Oh, yeah. Like like people don't get that because even when you start making some money, you're reinvesting. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's a struggle. Yeah. So what keeps somebody like yourself still going? Mm. Because I'm sure there's been countless times where you was like, you know what? I could really just get a nine to five. Mm-hmm. I could really just fall back. You know, I'm out here doing this. I'm losing business opportunities because of how I'm speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm you know, mm-hmm. what what actually keeps you in it and keeps you going? Mm. Man, one thing, man, a few things. But one major thing is when I was a kid, uh, I said, yo, what if there was a rapper that felt what I felt, feels what I feel and didn't hesitate to speak on it? live it and really be about it you know like and we had artists like that but i meant like um just i don't i don't know that i related directly like that you know what i'm saying like i wasn't a hardcore menacing gangster so i so you know <laughs> it was it's like sometimes it's the only way we could get consciousness yeah. is in our music through gangster rap yeah you know what i'm saying and i wasn't also i wasn't uh like you know like a uh a dashiki wearing, you know... Black power! Yeah, exactly. Hotep I was a, a regular black man in America with some real things going on. You know, and a regular young black boy trying to figure out my way in this world. So I, I always wondered, what if there was an artist that had that and never let it go, even when they got some accolades, you mm-hmm. know? So I always wanted to model myself as that type of artist. So when the, when the kids that I'm fighting with on the fast food line... When they see me on TV, they know uh, it ain't nothing. He'll get off the plane and come right here and get it, you know what I'm saying, on the picket line with us. Like, it's nothing. Like, uh, Tepo, uh, we see him all the time. Like, I want that type of relativity for me and the youth, you know what I'm saying? Or just people in general. So, like, when I'm walking down the street at the crib, single moms pull up, honk the horn. What up, Tef? We love your music. You know, like, like I want that because that's a, that's real. You know what I'm saying? Like, that. I don't need the Grammys. I don't need the, um, you know, the, 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 the. The false praise from the industry. I need the, the the real time praise from the people, and that and but that's challenging for people because that comes with chastisement as well. Mm-hmm. So when I do something that they not feeling, they on my ass just as much as they applauding when I do something they okay. feeling. I, it's times where they love me, and it's times where they like, bruh, we really not rocking with you right now because we wasn't feeling what you just did two weeks ago. Wow, you know what I'm saying? But I'm willing to lean into that. I'm willing to have that real type of relationship with them. But um, also. Uh, what people don't understand about the independent route for artists is not what people think um, the things that you may assume that keep independent artists from prospering. The reality of the situation is this. We are up against mega corporations (laughs) like and and i talk about this a lot because a lot of people are in the hip-hop they don't know what they talking about school school so these record labels are owned 
by big time multi-million dollar corporations and now at one particular time this wasn't true right at one particular time maybe not but the but the white labels have pretty much always been owned by mega corporations and so you you look at label like interscope i always use this for an example and i should probably stop but it is what it is uh label like interscope is owned by uh general electric Black people don't even know this. They General Electric owns Interscope. They just think Interscope Records, right? Okay. Interscope owned by General Electric. Do you know what General Electric does? They make nuclear weapons. They build private prisons. And they played an essential role in forcing the Dow pipeline. through. So riddle me this. Why are the same people that build the prisons and the nuclear weapons owning the record label that's putting out the number one rap artist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you would tell me that there's not <laughs> no correlation there to negotiate. Yeah. Like, you building prisons and putting out music. Like, this ain't no conspiracy theory. This is not something I'm just making up. This is factual. You know what I'm saying? Tupac was signed to Interscope. Yeah, he was on Death Row. Interscope was the parent label. So, like, who owned it back then? You know what I mean? What corporation owned that label then? You look at situations like Bobby Smyrta. Um, people go, well, why didn't he get out of jail? Why didn't they bond him out? L.A. Reid kept it so real in those interviews. Everybody should watch those L.A. Reid interviews about Bobby Smyrta. He go, man, we don't own this company. He said, y'all thinking I'm just going to go up there and put a million dollars to bond this boy out? This company owned by some Japanese people. Oh. You feel me? Like, <laughs> But we as Negroes don't know this, but we rushing to get into the rap game. It don't even do the science on who really own the businesses that's in the wow. rap game. Wow. You feel me? That's why somebody like Master P was a threat. Yeah. Because he coming out saying black owned. Yeah. I'll never work for the white man. Yeah. And meant it. They got to cut an 80, what, an 80-20 deal with this yeah. man. That's an unheard of deal. And now we don't even look at that as being the blueprint. We're trying to run away from that as the blueprint. We quick to give them our equity. We just give them our equity. We gave we I mean we literally I I will say it all the time black people gave hip hop to the white so, folks and I look at situations like that I look at uh, brothers like uh, Gucci Man uh. another good example right people look at Gucci Man they just see Gucci Man when I when I look at Gucci Man I see an independent artist that was in the South that got locked up that had no corporate backing they they even went as far to send people to the man house to kill him like people forget this actually happened. Yeah. The man had people can't. He got set up. He clapped at them, killed them. He was supposed to be dead. It was supposed to be over with. He was a thorn in their side. They had an artist signed to a corporate label and he was becoming a problem for that artist in the streets. We got the backing to get rid of this problem. Let's get his little mixtapes versus our corporate dollars. Come on, man. This man beat a corporation. Oh, we got to lock him up for seven years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, this is like really what's, what independent artists go through. Uh, They'll leave you in the ghetto to die if you're that much of a problem for the corporations. Uh, so that's that being said. So as as we you look at the climate of America right now. Mm -hmm. And so between there are Ferguson, Ferguson exists all over the nation. Mm. It's just a city by a different name, but the game is the same. Mm -hmm. So when we start looking at how how to start dismantling some of the systems in place that are keeping us in this position, but about how to prosper out. Like mm -hmm. I said, so if somebody got into hip-hop, explaining to them how these corporate dollars work. Mm -hmm. Explaining to them about how you ain't supposed to take the money up front. 
you know, that you're going to have to recoup anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you need to, to own your stuff. And, and if anything, put it mm-hmm. in promotion and, and then you buying a new car mm-hmm. uh, about teaching the actual business to music. If you don't get in mm-hmm. about talking to kids about business, building entrepreneurship, how you're mm-hmm. saying before the importance of I'm going to look at how you live your life first mm-hmm. before I'm a gauge. If you even have a valid leg to stand on to speak to the people, mm-hmm. you know, what would you what was something you could wave a magic wand and you could implement once one thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you can go, we're going to start teaching this one thing. We're going to yeah. implement this one class, this yeah. one course, this one system, one anything for us throughout the United States. If you got magic wand, it starts yeah. Monday morning. What was something that you think would be just pertinent that we learned to do? You, you know, the main thing I would say, man, is it's a lesson that I learned later in life that I wish I would have learned earlier in life is get your equity is everything. Uh-huh. And equity manifests in different forms of fashion but not equality but equity equity because we 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 playing two different games right now too they don't give a damn about equality <laughs> they do care about equity though. you hear you hear you know what i'm saying they if you start talking to equity and you have some real equity involved the, the conversation changes so like when we was in the streets our equity was the fact that nobody was going home and they wanted us to get out the streets i got equity now that's they not going home until we determine it's time to go home. Um, something later, you know, I started, I, I own, I'm opening a barbershop at home and I run a black owned uh, healthcare agency. Uh, Wait a minute, is that going on there? Uh, so we, we have a, a healthcare agency called uh, Unique Healthcare. Uh, it's three of us uh, my, my, my music manager, his mom, myself, and um, we do hospice care. We, we employ people $17 an hour, send them into um, homes. To, to care for people's loved ones. Um, and if you don't have a job and you need a job and you're in Missouri. 17 in Missouri, strong. It's a good life. I might, I might need to get out there. <laughs> it's a good life, you know what I'm saying? And, but it's a skill that you can take with you other places. So you ain't got to always work for us. You can go work for somebody else once you get, get your foot through the door. Uh, and the barbershop should be opening in June. And for me, I just looked at my life and I said, I, I can't represent all of this stuff and still have to go ask these people can i buy a sandwich uh, or can can i do can i bond if the protesters is out there in the streets and they get locked up can i bond anybody out without having to call these folks uh, you know what i'm saying and and they don't want us to think like that because the second we get to thinking about money and value and all of that we are we are trained to think that it's something wrong with you out getting out here getting some paper. Yeah. It's something wrong with you having some bread. No, I want y'all to get y'all money on. That way, if I get locked up, I know there's some soldiers in Sacramento that's hitting the line. Hey man, a thousand dollars ain't nothing to get this get Poe out of jail, man. Yeah. Go ahead, get him out, man. You know what I'm saying? Let him go. You know, while we at it, let's get about six more of them out. You know, it's nothing. Like that's how the civil rights movement became a problem when when brothers was taking the millions and saying nah we finna fund this you know no 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 it's, it, it goes from being a ragtime operation to don't worry about the gas money we got you you know the the, the most minute things that we worry about in terms of actually trying to establish a, a resistance front we can't do that with, with peanuts and people always want to talk to black people about these alternative systems socialism uh marxism all of that. And I'm with all of that. But the fact of the matter is we some of the only people that have been practicing all of that by, <laughs> by proxy of the yeah. fact that we ain't got nothing. So, like, I grew up with ghetto socialism. 
wearing the same shoes as my brother. Ghetto wearing socialism. the same shirts as my, my, my people, like passing down, you know, washing plates, uh, you know, uh, 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 doing militant labor after your mom cooked. You got to clean up the kitchen. We grew up with that infrastructure. We So why are you coming to us telling us about, uh, you know, these alternative systems when due to, due to fact that we're poor, we've lived that. So I, what I'm going to do, keep perpetuating that to black people? No, nah, we we got if y'all not going to pull the plug on capitalism and stop it tomorrow, then we got the right to engage it with righteous intention and do for our people. That's just how I see it. Man, that's deep shit. You want to jump in on that? I mean, I think that in, in a reality of what he's saying is what ghetto socialism. Ghetto socialism. Hashtag that. <laughs> The, the reality of when we think about equality and we think about equity and the thing that was profound in what you guys were doing as you guys got the national platform and the first time I met you in Oakland when, um, you know, Ben McBride mm-hmm. and Michael McBride brought you guys out there, um, mm-hmm. Will It Live Free? And uh, we spoke and we had that, I had that first interview with you and you were young. You were like your late 20s at that particular yeah, time. Um, you know what I'm saying? And, and just how influential you, your team was, but really ready to die and ready to uh, sacrifice your own life, your young life at that particular time for a greater cause. But knowing that you were fighting a fight that we all believed we already fought and won, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Everybody felt that black people had moved 10 steps closer to this dream that King said when they laid out the foundation of Obama, right? Mm -hmm. The Obama idea, right? The Mm -hmm. Obama hope, the Obama change, the messaging and the symbolism of Obama, right? So due to the surprise of many, as we continue to see like this Obama era really is kind of more of the same thing, we start to realize that we truly don't have equity Mm -hmm. and it changes in a conversation of Forget about equality. Let's talk about equity. It changes from civil rights to human rights. When you got to go to uh, United Nations, Mm -hmm. I saw such a profound play. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, you know who I had to. I saw such a profound play of how we're now going to take this to the next level because it has never been about um, equality. Mm -hmm. Um, It's never been about civil rights. It's Mm -hmm. been about equity and it's been about human rights Mm -hmm. and so in the nature of how we as black folk really lose sight and sense of what are we truly fighting for when you guys directly got the movement not only to get it from the local perspective of ferguson but to mirror every city that has black people in the united states to now get into not a national but a global Mm -hmm. moxie that spawn the black lives matter movement that spawn folks to now here like in sacramento uh to engage in moments like stefan clark and we'll talk about that later but the fact that the human rights issue now elevated for black people when you went to the united nations what was the key transfer mm. that you was trying to get out and where is it at right now man. by making that move man 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 that's a loaded 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 question, brother. Oh, you know I'm gonna come with the real boy. Uh, United Nations, man. Too many people ain't asked me about that because they don't. So they don't really want us to talk about what happened at the United Nations. The truth be told, uh, the United Nations. That's a place where I found myself crying. Uh. I walked off to. A, we was in Geneva, uh, Switzerland. Uh, 
and I walked off to a side room and I, and I broke down because I realized more than ever that uh, white supremacy had no intention on, on, on budging for us. You feel me? And, and I, it's things you, you notice before you go to the United <laughs> Nations, obviously, right? Yeah. But when you go to the United Nations and you present a foolproof case to the UN uh, to verify torture from American police forces to people of color globally, uh-huh. and you have other people who are there uh, that have been coming for years, and they trying to lay out the same case. And the evidence is right there, and the statistics is right there, and the the, uh, the parents of the victim are right there, <laughs> and they looking at us. They, they were more concerned with us going home back to St. Louis and quelling the riots mm. than they were withholding these people accountable. They told, they literally told us, "Well, what are y'all going to do about the the next round of riots?" And I looked at them. I said, "What do you mean? Well, we we're not we're not the infrastructure. Yeah. We're not the we're, we're citizens." <laughs> We're not law enforcement. That's y'all job. We don't do the police job. You feel me? So I sat there and I was kind of shocked. I was shocked because at that point I realized, yo, we playing high stakes poker now. Uh. I said, this is this 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 just became some big boy stuff. We sitting here at the UN and these jokers, they they basically telling me we don't care about nothing y'all saying. Uh. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> good luck. But how did they admitted that, uh, you know, that America owes African Americans reparations? Haven't that man? They, uh, don't get me started, man. This UN thing, the, Un- the United Nations is a facade. It's all owned by the World Bank. I'm not trying to go there this deep because this would be the stuff they want to kill me over. Uh-huh. But it's on this, this World Bank is U.S. imperialism. The United States will never be held accountable for nothing in the United Nations. Nothing whatsoever. The United Nations is a joke. It's a it's it's set up to uh, punish smaller countries that are not in the money train. So like yeah, Sudan, y'all can't violate human rights. Uh, Iraq, y'all can't uh-huh. violate human rights. America, who cares? Uh, Great Britain, who cares? Israel, who cares? You know what I'm saying? Like. It's a game. It's it's a money it's a money game, and and that's why I'm saying and I and I feel like Tupac saw this towards the end of his death because he started getting more globalism where he was like uh, talking about people coming to him with all these different conspiracies and he was like while well, y'all are giving me these conspiracies they making money moves uh, you feel me he's like so I don't have time to be focused on the conspiracy because I see what they really doing yeah. and that's how I felt about the UN it was just like okay now I got to pull the man from behind the curtain. And see what he was really about, and then I just discovered that it's all a joke. It's, it's it's a joke from top to bottom, man. Like like the that made me more aggravated than uh-huh. anything I ever saw. That made me go home and turn up even harder. Uh-huh. Cause now I said, okay, cool. I see what y'all want. The only literal option that we have is to hold our ground and damn near decide that our people. Or making a declaration of self-defense, or or maybe even possibly, if it came to that level, a damn declaration of war to defend ourselves, because them people don't give a damn about black people, man. So you were optimistic at first, and when you got in there, you realized that this is just a big global 
uh, white supremacy game. That's all it is. I, I was hopeful at first. I didn't have too many hopes, but I was hopeful at best that you, because we came from the ghetto to the United Nations. That's crazy. Like North St. Louis. I, you know, I came from the north. Like you're not side supposed to be there at all. They, they didn't even expect to see us there. They had such a problem with us being there because they like, how dare y'all come over here? But my mindset is this. We playing the game according to y'all rules. This is y'all game. I, I'm just in y'all game playing. Yeah. Y'all sent Eric Holder out to Ferguson. You sent the FBI out to Ferguson. We talked to them. They can't do nothing. Eric Holder, I, I really believe in his heart of hearts, wanted to do something. Okay. I think Eric Holder is a real brother. But he was caught up in that that thing and couldn't do nothing. And that's why he stepped down. So let me just, before you go into that piece, this is very important as we break this down. Some revolutionaries don't realize that in this chess game, you got to sometimes sit and have the conversation with the enemy, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think some folks don't really get that piece. They think that um, all of a sudden they're going to just kind of be anarchists and it's just going to just, hey, whatever you guys want. It's not like yeah. that, right? If we don't, if, if you don't have dialogue and strategy, then I look at when, when, when we stop dialogue, to me, the di- I, I do say this. I say we don't negotiate with terrorists. Yeah. So if the police arrest our people, we're not negotiating with y'all. We want our people out of jail. Y'all, you know, you don't have the right to kidnap no black people. So, but in certain places, there's need for us to have conversation. We like, like, um, something like the UN, right? This is Malcolm X's dream. His, this is his, one of his prophecies: is that we need to be recognized on that level for what's going on to us internationally. But part of the problem now is not only do we have to talk to some of the people we don't want to talk to, we got to start talking to more people in the diaspora. Because if we as black Americans go over there connected to the diaspora, it's a totally different conversation. You know what I'm saying? It's a different conversation if I got the back end of some of these smaller African countries (laughs) that want to support me because they know. I'm representing what they going through, and we got the same. I got a Libya, I got a Kenya. It's the same, and it's what the BLA was trying to set up, but they never really got to set it all the way up. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Okay, that's pretty deep. So, when, so recognizing how the system works, and, and you got to see, like I said, when the curtain gets pulled back. And for folks at home that don't quite know how that works, mm-hmm. is that. Uh, the UN is much like your paper money in your wallet. Mm-hmm. It's really just it, it's just something for you to look at that makes you feel better, but it doesn't have any real value. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, as you you've now got an opportunity to go across the nation and now to even go into other countries, and something that you got to see is how Black Americans as a whole think and move. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times we get caught up in where we live or the people that we hang around. So we start to think that that's the norm. Yeah, yeah. But once you start to get out and branch out, you start to see how some of that is true and then some of how that is different. Uh, do you think that we're even playing to win? Because you you've had <laughs> because this is the thing because you've had a wide enough perspective. Y'all some crazy questions. Oh man, it's real shit. <laughs> no, because, say something. Because we say, say something. Some. Some. Say something. Because baby. we all we have similar complaints, but when you because all the three of us have had the opportunity to travel. Yes. Mm-hmm. And. And if you don't travel, you're killing yourself softly. You are. and But when you get to travel, you get to see how people move in different regions. And then you start to see points of reference and commonality and behavior. Mm-hmm. And something that I saw once that, that somebody said that I thought was profound is that most black Americans don't want the, the, the breakdown of the system. 
We just want to be treated better within it. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the average black American doesn't want a full dismantling of capitalism yeah, and the yeah. way things operate. Just be a little nicer to me and uh-huh. I'll be straight. Because yeah. we'd have to really work like that. That's what I'm saying. So in your experience, yeah. have you is is this a fight that it's not a question of we can't win, but there's just not a we we got instead of twelve men, we got three men on the field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I, I think you're right. Um uh what one thing Ferguson taught me was the sophistication of the state it's so much more sophisticated than we even think and we assume we know like we we assume like oh yeah we know the state is sophisticated no you found the fuck out the straight sophistication of the state i'm talking about folks around you that's agents that's watching you you don't know they're agent i'm talking about uh your the, the typical cliche stuff we talk about like oh the phones tap you know what i'm saying oh this and that that's a basic entry level of dealing with the state now we get deeper the stuff i wasn't ready for is the psychological stuff the um how um it don't take much to attack you in today's hemisphere because we got the internet yes so that's why i'm real cautious about even attacking other black folks that are being attacked via the internet because I've been the victim of some of that stuff, stuff that just was not true, that I knew was coming from an enemy source and it was done to damage my credibility, to try to make me stay home. It was, you know, uh, the manipulation of uh, my social media algorithm causing me to see things that are going to uh, depress me and, and, and make me not so happy. Um, and, and not understanding that every time we pick this up, we're using one of their tools. They got they got the I don't have the back end to the Internet. They got the back end to the Internet. Yeah. You know, I can't log in behind the Internet and see who all else is attached to, you know, what's going on. I, I don't have no clue how to do that. So um, understanding um, that also that these are federal jobs when you really think about it, like. They're not doing this for free. Uh. <laughs> you feel me? Like somebody's getting up, clocking in every day and saying, all right, today uh, I'm, it's my job to, to quell the Stephen Clark protest. How the hell am I going to do that? Uh, today, uh, you know, they, they talking about it over lunch. Uh, hey, what, what was going on today at lunch? Oh, yeah, no, you know, those fuckers went down at the stadium. <laughs> you know, like they get a check. And more times than not, you not being trailed by an individual that ain't being paid <laughs> so that's real deep when you really think about it like this, your tax dollars are going towards the very vices that are being powered to stop you wow okay so one thing i want to follow on that because this is not a conspiracy theorist conversation this is just to bring it to to your your real world your mm-hmm. real life mm-hmm. that exactly what you're saying mm-hmm. so uh, the biggest lie that, that people tell on the daily day basis is I agree that I have read the terms and conditions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who got time and, to? It's a lot of those you terms know what I'm saying? and conditions. Like, like, yeah. Who got time to, right? So all those apps on your phone, uh, all those things you have access to, that that long page of information, and then at the end it says I agree that I have read the terms and conditions. In those 
those terms and conditions are your cell phone. It's access to your microphone. Yeah, yeah. It's access to your location. Yeah. It's the ability to turn your phone on and off yeah. remotely. It's a, it's a information to all your contact information, yeah. your emails, your yeah. passwords. If you've got your online banking, your Facts. PayPal's link, they got links Facts. to all that. Where your money's coming from, who you're sending it Facts. to. All that is in the terms and conditions of your cell phone apps that don't nobody read. Facts. And when it comes to, and, and the key word is uh, algorithms. Mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar with that that's the pattern in which you of what you do and they've got your algorithm set amazon boasts the highest percentage of algorithm tracing because they're around 98 percent they'll show you something like the best thing when you buy something they'll say Mm -hmm. frequently bought with this Mm -hmm. something you wasn't thinking about buying Mm -hmm. but it sounds good together so you go ahead and get both of them Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't, it, it, that, that's their game. They get you, they figure out what you look at, which, and mm-hmm. if you notice, if you ever click on something on Amazon, it shows up as an advertisement on your Facebook. Yeah. Like they, they, they figure your algorithms of what you're into and what you listen to and what you're saying on, on the affecting your mood. Yeah. Is that the algorithm can be set to where if you're used to say, all I want to li- is happy, peaceful, uh, karmic type, type posts. That's all I want to listen to. All I, all I want is positivity. You can start interrupting that mm. with news feeds of somebody being shot. Mm-hmm. You can be human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can start doing things and introduce them to somebody to offset their mood, mm-hmm. to offset what they're doing. All that day. is not crazy conspiracy theorist stuff. They've proved there's constant reports of where uh, when there's an issue, they don't. There's hashtags that get blocked. As soon as you put, you know, hashtag Stephon Clark, they mm-hmm. won't allow you to post it, or All nobody day. in your feed will see it. All day. You know, misdirection, call it the Kansas City shuffle where you make Mm -hmm. them look left and they go right. Mm -hmm. You know, all that stuff is very real. So as you find this moving around, because if you get to the point where you're at the United Nations, you conceded that everybody know you. Mm -hmm. And when I mean everybody, I mean Mm -hmm. everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. you you in the machine. Yeah, man. So I I took it too far, man. I went to. But but, but to continue (laughs) moving forward, was there ever a point to where you're like, it ain't safe out here? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, man. Um, so here's the thing. What I uh, I feel what happened to the Ferguson front line is essentially what happened to the Black Panther Party in a, in a drastically less amount of time. You know what I'm saying? Like it, they showed they us efficient. firsthand the the actual might of what they can do, and we wasn't even a real challenge for them. It was it was child's play to a giant. Uh-huh. You know. Um, Folks went to jail very quickly, didn't get back out. Um, different organizations were torn apart from internal beefs. Uh, different components of identity politics came in and raged people against each other. When previously, folks was united on the front lines in the, in the field and out there when there's an M16 in your face, it's no time to really stop and break down these caveated politics it's are you going to stand with black people or not are you going to ride or not but when we you know when when we pulled ourselves away from that that's when i saw what was i saw the real and i thought i'm not i feel like so a few things happen here it's a layered conversation i feel that in the turf in the terrain on the ground i do feel that we want i feel that the 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 Police force and the military and the National Guard, similar to Vietnam, similar to uh, all these indigenous areas that they go to, they're not ready for guerrilla warfare. They just, they're not. They, they, they're ill-trained. They don't understand black people. 
They they think that we just some bumbling idiots. They don't understand that yeah, y'all doing two a days on us, but we going back to the crib doing our own version of two a days. Our own version of uh I right, bro, next time that happened, you need to do blase blah blah blah. Yeah. Or uh, you know, we doing we talking to the Palestinians online about how to make homemade gas masks. Uh or we, uh, you know, people just dropping information like, yo, if you shine these little lasers that you buy at the gas station at the helicopters, uh, you know, you stand behind the trees and shine that light up that'll blind the pilot. That'll, that'll make them get the light off you. Just different stuff that we could only learn from, like, being serious, you know, like damn near being as serious as they were on that level. But where we weren't prepared for is what I'm saying is the deepness of how deep they're willing to go. Because they're not going to stand there and keep shooting at you all day if they figure you're getting immune to the tear gas. They're like, oh, you niggas is getting to the point where y'all can stand in the tear gas and throw <laughs> it back? Oh, we're going to do something else then. Yeah. Cool. Now, like you said, now we're getting banking records. Now we're uh, getting addresses. Now we're planning people in the meetings. And, you know, folks coming from out of town and you cool with them because we all black and it's a blackity black moment. But this person is legitimately a FBI agent. <laughs> and rumors are being spread about people that aren't true. You know, just division. And, and the, the scariest thing to these people is black unity. It's something about that unity. And we are a unified force. It just can't be stopped, man. But when we bring in, when we are divided, we are some divided folk. You know what I'm saying? Now, now that I know we almost close to time, but I think we're going to do a few more minutes. Special, special guest. So we're just going to kind of drop a jewel because I want to get into the fact that you're talking about what's happening in Ferguson and the fact that what's happened here in Sacramento, the Stephon Clark uh, situation, our moment of truth, as we kind of knew. And I remember speaking to uh, the mayor. And the city council at the time when we were watching our brothers and sisters um, just ignite this newfound revolution here in Ferguson mm -hmm. and, and how my heart was just was just in anguish because I looked at it like I just got done watching a VH1 special about the 93 riots in um, yeah, L.A. Yeah, yeah. Just like literally. And I remember seeing little things in St. Louis, but it was like about Mike Brown, but it didn't blow up yet. Yeah. And then it was just seeming like one night the news camera flipped it and it was just seemed like Armageddon going down. And of course, in a lot of the, 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 the play, you hear more about protesters, right? More about um, that rioters, the agitators, less about the actual crime. A young black male was killed unarmed, right? More about, well, those people that are creating this, this atmosphere yeah. than the people that started what this atmosphere is that we're yeah. fighting against, right? Yeah, yeah. Almost in a sense, like, we are the people fighting against violence and they're making it seem like we're the ones creating the violence, you know, right? You know why that is, though? I'm, some I said on I said on CNN a few times, and people kept coming to me saying, "You got to stop saying that, Paul." No, nah, the fact of the matter is, it's legal to kill people of color in America. It's not illegal. Like now, it's illegal for you as a black person to just kill us. Yeah. You gonna go to jail? Yeah. But then again, if you do it correctly, you may not. Yeah. You feel me? You could very well just smoke us and get away with it. Yeah. So it's legal to kill black people. That's crazy. And and what 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 we need to change the conversation from is this is not asking them to recognize it as illegal because they already telling us they're not. Yeah. How many more non-indictments do you need? Yeah. Like if something happens, this is the only thing I've ever seen happen with these type of odds and people still try to defy the odds. 
like the odds of a police officer being convicted for killing a black person they don't exist. There are no odds. If you in Vegas and you say, hey, that cop just shot this kid on CNN. Let's let's all wager some money about this cop getting indicted. You a fool if you bet in favor of the indictment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It just does not. There's no odds that that favor that a computer wouldn't even process that and go like the computer going to fucking break. Ain't no damn odds that's going to support that shit. So why do we keep presenting the narrative? It's if it can happen. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, like we're, we're, we're asking for a unicorn. Uh, uh, we That's like, hey, Elvis, come yeah. back from heaven right now and play us a song. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's not going to happen. It's just not, it's not going to happen. So I feel that the, the framing of the conversation we need to start presenting to these people is, look, y'all got to be honest about who y'all are. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you have no problem with us being gunned down, you don't have no, I don't expect no moral center in, in white folks concerning black people death. Because it ain't one. Mm-hmm. If it was one, it'd be people in the streets right now. It'd be people, it'd be a trillion people outside the White House right now if white people really, honestly, holistically cared. Mm-hmm. But they don't. Mm-hmm. So it's normal. It's, it's not normal for you to go down there and shut down the stadium. It's not normal for you to say, hmm, he was unarmed. That's not that's not right. That's not. No, 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 no. That's the irregular part. That's the ripple in the matrix. The rest of the matrix code say niggas is dying globally and we have no problem with it. Yeah, I feel a little mm, in my heart at night, but I'm I'm fine going to sleep. It it doesn't affect doesn't affect me whatsoever. Now, the crazy part. Reverse this. Opioid crisis. White kids dying. Yeah. Now it's an epidemic. A drug epidemic. Niggas been using lean since 2001. <laughs> Heavy. It's been an epidemic forever. Let's not even talk now about the Now all of a sudden, oh, the opioid crisis, because white kids is popping up dead. Yes. Black, we been dying from lean. Yeah. We been dying from opioids. This ain't nothing new. Right? Same thing happened with crack. Oh, my God. Pops up and, oh, what is this? <laughs> oh, we made this for the niggers. AIDS. Oh, it's a problem. Oh, we that was, we didn't think that could get to us. Oh, you know, like, so it's there's something within the, I don't expect them ever to talk about it correctly. Because you got to remember this when you're protesting. You're, doing, you're participating in a criminal act. Hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? What you're doing is not legal. It should be, but in the framing of their laws, their country, their institutions, their understanding, their logic, their moral center, what you're doing is completely illegal. Huh. You're not right at all. Why are you shutting down this 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 interstate? Yeah. I'm trying to get home from work. I don't give a damn about nothing y'all talking about. Trying to get home to work. I, it, it just does not matter, you know what I'm saying? And and that, that's where the phrase Black Lives Matter does hold some value because it just does not matter. You can kill a hundred niggas. You, like in Chicago, Chicago, St. Louis, you know what I'm saying? These are epidemics. This is genocide. This is literal genocide. Actual, real life, by definition, stone cold genocide. And, they, and there's nothing. There's this like... It, it doesn't even you need an anvil to hit them on the head. Uh-huh. You know, like so. So we're that's what I learned from all of that, because I felt how you felt initially. I was like, yo. If we stay at this, 
there has to come a logical point <laughs> in this where they go, yo, we are wrong. Yeah. What he did to the, that, that kid was wrong. Yeah. It's not right that we got all these people out in the middle of the street and we shooting like this. But but this is how this works. The war machine will have you mad at the child that throws the rock at the tank. Uh. We looking at the child like, yo, you crazy as hell for throwing that rock at that tank. But we not looking at the fact that that's a goddamn tank <laughs> against a kid with a rock. Man. So so in that in that piece. So I know we we like I said we run in. Oh, we got short. Okay. Yeah, think it'll actually. Okay. So what I wanted to go into is Ferguson again sparked up everything that we see. I remember going backtracking, saying to our mayor and our city council, we are one <clears throat> excuse me national uh, moment away from being Ferguson. Mm-hmm. One national moment away from being Ferguson. Like mm-hmm. we got the same problems, we just ain't got that national moment because we've had issues, but they ain't got there. Here came Joseph Mann. Um, that we had a that we had a, 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 a jaywalking incident, mm-hmm. and those kind of hit some national headline, mm-hmm. and then boom, here comes Stephon Clark. You hit my line. We was talking, and you was like, "B, what's up?" Like, yo, like, <laughs> you good? Like, I'm, I'm watching, and we had our final moment of truth, as I like to call it, and so many of my um, uh, colleagues, uh, we we call it, and the blueprints that we identified with are definitely the blueprints that we see not only in Ferguson but what's going on in New York what was going on in Oakland with Oscar Grant a lot of the organizing what do you see in different and and, and a simple fact that we uh, did the uh, golden one uh, breakdown and a golden one uh, takeover was really about money really about taking back power um, and and we utilize that as, as a moment that will kind of make us difference in the Ferguson because you guys weren't in a place where you could go outside of the city, it kind of kept you where you mm-hmm, were in Ferguson, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where we were able because Sacramento's a little bit more spread. We kind of were strategic enough to say we're going to go down to the city hall, mm-hmm. and then we just migrated. It happened to be here is this damn Golden One Arena with the mm-hmm. Kings in, and really take full access. So there's a bit been a different kind of wave of us challenging the norm to say. You will identify, you will deal with this white America because now we're not going to be in the neighborhood of the young man mm-hmm. uh, uh, protesting, but we're going to be in your front ground making you uncomfortable. What are you thinking are the differences, the similarities, and some of the challenges for us to continue to um, keep the pressure and, and lift up Stephon Clark's name and the fact that all the stuff that you guys did from rioting to 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 battling mm-hmm. to staying up all night from causing a lot of property damage whether it's um some of the instigators and agitators that were doing that or some of the folks that were really on the streets doing mm-hmm. it but you still eventually got no indictment mm-hmm. you still eventually heard mike brown was not getting justice mm-hmm. what are the similarities and differences in this situation here with stephon clark mm-hmm. well one of the main differences i noticed when i drove by uh uh, Stephon Clark, his grandmother's house this, today, is we we really did both. We did the yeah we were in Ferguson, but it was really going down. It was going down into jails, like the St. Louis City jails. It was going down in St. Louis City in general. So we were shutting down baseball games, football games, hockey games, concerts. It was a constant. We just it just was no there was no more life as normal. You people weren't going to the mall. Different nightclubs went out of business because nobody was going to the club. You know what I mean? Like the certain clubs I just thought was going to be there forever. They lost that much money that 
because people was just in the streets. Um, and so one thing I noticed that was different was that presence. It was a presence in the hoods, but it was a presence all throughout the city as well. Uh, just different people doing different stuff. Uh, and I think also there was a universal uh, this is it type of energy. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, like everybody just felt like whatever we were doing, there was nothing else more important at that time. Um, and that was definitely more than just Ferguson as well. Yeah, yes, exactly. So it was like citywide. And the, the, I think Ferguson became a generational moment for black folk where like my parents may not really don't really identify with that like we did. But for people that were, you know, from I'd say from uh, maybe 18 to, to 40, 45, you know, what I mean, like that was a, a, a bracket of black folks that were dialed in. You know what I'm saying? From different capacities. So you might do this. The young boys might do this. You might do this. The young girls might do this. You might do this, but they're going to do that. And I think it was just a collective moment where everybody was on the same page for whatever fucking reason. And it became what it became. So what I see is uh, some similarities. is just this, it's the same shit. The neighborhoods are built the same. Um, I was driving around like, damn, they already got them militarized for real with the uh, speed. Yeah, you see that? Speed ramps. I was like, wow, this is crazy. I was like, nobody questioning this. It blew my mind. Because that's some shit they do in Palestine. Put some speed ramps down like that. Like, that's straight out of apartheid. Like, straight out of containment. I was like, yo, they contained right now don't even realize it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't even drive around freely over here. Yeah. And, you know, so what I see is if it ever gets to that level, the militaristic response is already ready to come in and, and, and attack people out here they just waiting for the necessity to do that you know what i'm saying and i feel as if um if the protests were to i don't know because i'm not from here but if the protests were to be too combustible in in y'all actual neighborhoods uh because this is where you causing you calling folks to have to come to the scene of the shit you you having folks have to come to where black people live you know, like all too often we treat the black American experience like it's the American experience in activism. Uh-huh. So folks will go to the ghetto in Cuba. Folks will go to the ghetto in Brazil. They'll go behind the wall in Palestine. No, Negro. When you get off the plane, come here and sleep next door to where the, where the boy got shot at tonight. Uh-huh. You feel me? Ain't no, ain't no Marriott. We all sleeping on the floor in here tonight. <laughs> and we getting up and going outside tomorrow and blocking traffic. You feel me? Like don't like there's they take away what we actually going through and act like oh yeah 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 go home. Like no, somebody just got shot in the damn backyard. We don't live how y'all live. Uh. You don't know nothing about life around here. You know, like that needs to be centered and talked about more and expounded upon. Okay. You know, and and really held to the flame. Like the mayor don't know nothing about the experiences of people in that community. Uh. And the community should be pissed off that they could just come in there and clap somebody in the backyard and expect for us to just be like, oh, we can handle that. Yeah. You, <laughs> y'all are emotionally capable of handling seeing dead people in the backyard, black folks. It's yes, fine. It's okay. Like, nah, man. It's insane. Wow. I mean, these are a lot of deep subjects to get into. Uh, first and foremost, we appreciate you for being here, bro. I love, man, love. You know, and and saying earlier, it's a lot of layers too. Yeah. I mean, the fact is, is that how these cities operate, Ferguson's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Sacramento's not unique. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and for the cities that think it's not you or it can't be you, it like, will. Yeah, it really is just a situation away, an incident away. Oh yeah, you know, and and getting involved beforehand also. Yeah. And when we talk about the layers of the state, mm-hmm. getting involved with. Do you know who your councilman is? Mm-hmm. Do you know what an alderman does? Mm-hmm. You know who's the superintendent of the school district that your kids go to school <laughs> in? Do you know, you know what I'm saying? Do you know who's the sheriff of where you live? Do you know who yeah. the government of your of your state is? Because a lot of people don't know the governor. And then definitely don't know the lieutenant governor. Yeah. Do you know what policies are on the ballot? Are you involved or yeah. are you yeah. just here? Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're just here, then you're just here. You know, yeah. I've never asked the furniture where it wanted to be <laughs> when I moved. <laughs> I never asked the chair if it likes the angle that I put it in in the living room. <laughs> You know what I'm saying so if, if you are just going to be here and yeah. just be furniture, you will be treated accordingly. Yeah, man. And and for us, as like you said, with the system, the system is what it is. It is not broken. Mm-hmm. It is incredibly efficient. It is working like it's so. It works the way to. it is working the way it's supposed to. And for us, we need to put the onus and the accountability on our side in the sense of these. Where are these constitutional lawyers at? Mm-hmm. Where are these attorneys that this is specifically what they went to school for? Yeah. yeah. You know, when it comes to this is a nation of laws. Everybody's scared. And and then what I want to say is also is that, okay, so making great points, man. And the rebuttal to the the second piece to what you're saying is this. All right. If you are going to choose to be an individual that don't know who your city council is, you don't know who do this. You don't know who do that. You don't know who do that. I, I don't agree with that. And I would hope and pray that you find a way to. Get in tune about what's going on with your local government. But what you do need to know, absolutely, is what you are willing to do once they don't do their job. Because, you, all right, you know they, you don't know who they are, but you do know they're not doing their damn job. <laughs> so what are you willing to do in response to that? Now that we know we're not going to get justice, we know that they're not going to do this, we know they're not going to do that. What is the community now willing to do? As a response to that, is it a wolf ticket? Is it is it smokescreen? Or is it really going to be some type of actual, once y'all make this move, we make this move. Yeah. You know? Like, I went to the uh, Ecuadorian embassy in London when I went to London uh, like three years ago. And I met uh, somebody I shouldn't have met. I met Julian Assange, uh, who people hate now. They hated him then, but I met him, the the, the white boy that uh, started WikiLeaks, uh-huh. and he can't lead the uh, embassy. He got a fifteen million dollar bounty on his head. Really? Yeah. Hey, yeah, forever. Ain't seen sunlight at all, and I could tell the man was losing his mind a little bit. And he asked me why I came to the embassy, and I told him I said, man, because we got common enemies. I said. You got the full weight of the American government on you. I said, my people back home got the full weight of the American government on them. So there's a a point for us to talk. And he said something that I always took with me. I never, never relinquished it. He said two things that I took with me. He said, hey, when they put dirt out on me, sometimes I put dirt out on myself to lean into it. Because he was like, that dirt is being used to try to tear you down. He's like, nobody's squeaky clean anyway. So to make yourself it's like a uh it's like a a, a, a vaccination you know mm-hmm. you, you put the that you put the bacteria in your body you go ah that ain't gonna hurt me now yeah mm-hmm. all right y'all thought that was gonna hurt it ain't gonna hurt but another thing he said that i really took with me too and i took this back to the protest was he said every time they make a move i make a move 
He said, it ain't no move that they make that I don't have a response for. He said, they make a move, I make a move every time. And I thought about that and I said, man, that's crazy. You're right. So I took that back to the streets. If they show up and kill somebody, we had a new rule in the hood. Police got to go. You don't get to sit here and, uh, you know, disrespect these people, this family. Y'all just killed these people, uh, loved one, and sit here and just casually parade around the neighborhood collecting evidence. No, y'all got to get out of here. We don't care about your investigation. You know what I'm saying? Because your investigation going to come to one conclusion for us anyway. So it ain't even no damn investigation. So you don't get to come here, shoot somebody, act like you investigating it, party, you know, freelance around the neighborhood without no response from a mob of black folks that have a problem. You won't go to a white person's neighborhood, shoot somebody and expect that. So why you come to our neighborhood, shoot somebody and expect us to watch it like we at the damn zoo? No, y'all got to get out of here. And if you don't get out of here, we're going to make you get out of here. And, and we'll take the consequences that come with making you get out of here. Rain, sleet, hell, or snow. But you don't get to come here and just disrespect us like yeah, that. Yeah, just kick it. Yeah. You know, so that I would say my advice is just just come up with consequences for the for however that look for you. It may not be that deep. It may be not shopping somewhere. You know what I'm saying? You come up with your personal consequences for how you respond to what they do to you. That's deep and powerful. Yo, deep powerful consequences uh deserve for um the reactions. And I think that a lot of our people are very more reactionary than revolutionary. And we have to be revolutionary builders in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it's just a powerful thing to just have my brother, like I said, met him in uh, 2014 when the thing was just really skyrocketing. Um, happy to see that you're still here, knowing a lot of brothers and sisters lost their life in this moment. But we're still in this moment. It's tragedy, tragic that we are still here in 2018, mm-hmm. constantly developing uh, ideas how we're going to stop police terror as if we have the remedy when the real remedy is they have to say to themselves we got to stop mm-hmm. so you know appreciate you being here brother this is this is this is good work family people if y'all ain't heard the truth and say something and ain't listening to say something yet i think after you hear this one <laughs> you gonna tune in yeah, because these are things that we need to address wherever you are. And it's not about waiting until there's an incident that happens to get yourself involved. The idea is to get yourself in a position that you don't have to deal with these things. Get involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know who, the moving parts around you. Like you said, for every move, there should be a, resp- a reaction, a, a move, and a counter move. A consequence. The, the, the system is playing chess, and a lot of us are playing Connect Four. <laughs> And the fact of the matter is, is that we have to be involved. We have to be engaged. We need to hold both sides accountable if that's what we're going to do mm-hmm. or be real about whatever our intentions are on both sides. If that's what we're going to do, mm-hmm. that we have to get involved. We have to get engaged. We have to have these discussions amongst ourselves privately, some backdoor issues some, some some closed door issues that need to be that need to be happening, as well as being vocal publicly about what it is that we want, how we want it to look in the steps and the lengths that we're willing to go to to make these things happen. Mm -hmm. It involves being engaged, being active, not only doing something, but definitely saying something. This is the Say Something Podcast. I'm Jermaine here, Jermaine Morris with Barry Axius and special guest Tef Poe. A little extra love for me Where can folks find you online to keep up with you? Oh, man. Um, Just hit me up on uh, Twitter, as always. I'm trying to divest from Twitter because, man, them some devils as well. What's your handle? Uh, at Tefpo, uh, T-E-F-P-O-E. Also, uh, T-E-F underscore P-O-E on Instagram. 
and uh, get at me on Facebook, same name. Or you can just 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 get at me. You'll find me somewhere. We'll, we'll, I'll perhaps across if it's meant for us to cross. <laughs> I'm Jermaine Morris on Facebook. Every other social media platform is at J Morris CEO. Where can folks find you, Mr. Axius? Yeah, my Twitter game is getting crazy right now, y'all. So let's get back on Twitter, Barry Axius, um, IG at Team uh, at Team Boy, and of course Barry Axius on Facebook. And remember, you need to say something. You need to go on iTunes and log in, follow, continue to to support Black podcasts that speak the truth, straight from Black minds, straight from Black hearts, strictly with Black truth all day, every day, unapologetically. Holla at your people. This is Say Something Podcast. I'm going to accent on that. Say Something Podcast. And until next show, next episode. 62, mother. We will holler at you later. Holler. Peace.